Hello, everybody, and welcome to Roar Lions Radio. This is not Bill DeFilippo. This is actually Nick Pollock. I'm getting my first hosting spot of the year. Bill is unavailable. Um, so instead, we have a combination than we normally have. You can hear him right now. Um, we'll have a different combination of people tonight to break down the game that was on Friday, Penn State taking down Maryland. And tonight I am joined, of course, by Matt DeBear. Matt, how are we? I am, I am wonderful for a, a lovely Monday evening. Just lovely? Not better? Just, well, I'm trying to be realistic. It, it was a Monday. Well, that's fair. That's true. Well, the good news is that we can happily look back on Friday and get all those warm, fuzzy feelings back into our into our minds, into our hearts, uh, because Penn State took Maryland to the woodshed on Friday. 59 nothing final score. Uh, Sean Clifford was excellent, went 26-31, 398 passing yards, three touchdowns. Uh, the run game did a decent job, 198 yards on the ground, 4.8 yards per carry. K.J. Hamler went off. We'll talk about his touchdown later. And the defense was absolutely suffocating. Held Maryland's quarterbacks to 2.8 um, yards per uh, yards per pass, yards per catch. Um, held the running backs to only 1.8 yards per carry. We'll get into that a little bit later about how Penn State has just completely erased Anthony McFarland from the game each of the past two years, which is something that most teams have not been able to do. Uh, Penn State went 9 of 14 on third down, 619 total yards. Uh, Clifford averaged 10.5 yards per pass, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, They did have some penalties in the game, and they did have a turnover. Um, A really, really great play by uh, former Penn State recruiting target Nick Cross. But really, overall, hard to find anything to be upset with about this game for Penn State. They were truly lights out right from the right from the get go. Jan Johnson got started, got things started off really quickly with an interception. Um, so, Matt, my first question for you is just what were your initial impressions from that game on Friday? Well, I I wrote about it for the site, and I think think it went up on Saturday after the game. This whole Friday night game thing is totally screwed with my timeline of of events over the last like three or four days, but. Um, just how completely dominant they were really, like you said, from more or less the first play until the last play in, in every aspect of the game. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find a top to bottom, all three phases of the game, all four quarters, dominant performance like that really in, in recent memory, I've been kind of racking my brain a little bit over the last couple of days, trying to think of a, a similar game in, in similar circumstances. And I don't think Maryland's you know, a world beater by any means, but they're certainly not a bad team. I think they're better than they've been over the last couple of years. But just when you consider the, the, everything around the game, you know, the Friday night atmosphere, you know, the biggest home crowd for Maryland ever, I think is what it ended up being, or was going to be close. Um, you know, their, their biggest home game in, in 15 or 20 years. And to just go in there as a less than a touchdown favorite by the time the game kicked off, and just completely dominate in every facet of the game, you know, 619 yards to a hundred and something. Um, Maryland only crossed the 50 yard line once. Uh, one was the drive that ended in the Creek Castro fields interception down by the goal line. The second lasted just one play until Adiza Isaac sacked Josh Jackson back on the other side of the 50 on a fourth down play. Th- those were the only two times Maryland crossed the 50. And when you consider the, the number of players that got experience and 
just how from like like we said from beginning to end they just really controlled the game in every possible way you know if, if you're nitpicking there was the the Sean Clifford interception but like you said it was the great play by Nick Cross um you know there was the Micah Parsons targeting foul which I think you know was, was obviously a pretty good call uh, but even the way they respond to that was was impressive so um there isn't one specific thing one specific player you know Sean Clifford was great um, in all aspects, KJ Hamler was fantastic. Uh, a number of defensive defensive players really stepped up and played great games. Um, but the the biggest takeaway for me just remains how every player who saw the field, the coaching staff, just really really took control of the whole the whole evening from the get go. Yeah, it wasn't their biggest margin of victory they've had in the last few years. I mean, I believe this game last year they won sixty six to three, if I remember correctly. But yeah, it, two years that was two years ago in Maryland. But that was the last game of the right, year, right. and Maryland had already lost. It was already out of bowl contention, and it just it was a different vibe heading heading into this game as there was into that game. I don't think anyone really thought Penn State was going to be challenged two years ago. Um, but there were certainly plenty of predictions. Matt Liner on the pregame show on Fox predicted. Maryland to win. He was not not the only one that was saying that. And I think a lot of people expected the game to be close, and it just it just really wasn't from from I think the fifth play on when when Johnson got that interception. It was really great listening to Liner at halftime come back on and try to justify his pick. I think he just went with something like, "Well, there's still a half of the game left. Blitz, don't bark, please. There's still a half a game left." So and everyone just kind of laughed him off. Uh, but yeah, they were they were completely completely dominant in a way that we haven't i mean we've seen them be dominant against bad teams early in the season but and maryland it's kind of a double-edged sword right because if because penn state beat them bad bad, beat them this badly everyone's like oh well they were always just trash and we just didn't know it yet they did beat syracuse and syracuse is not not going to end up probably even a top 40 team when all is said and done but they're still a legitimate power five team so i it's maryland is probably not as bad as they were on friday but they're not as good as they were against syracuse in all likelihood so the, i think after a few weeks the perception around the terps will probably normalize a bit more and we can look back on this and be even more impressed but yeah like you said just the total domination in all all three phases of the game save for uh, Jordan Stath's missed 52 yarder which is completely unacceptable. Um, and he had a, t- a kickoff that did not go for a touchback. I think he had a I think he had two of those. I think the second one was like a little squib kick at some point in the second half that was kind of irrelevant almost. Yeah, he did um, have a squib. What one of them he tried on and that was disappointing. Yeah. But it's okay. I'm, I'm sure. He'll, I'm sure he'll bounce back. Um, but yeah, it, it, this was this was just complete, complete domination in a way that we, I'm not sure we've seen under James Franklin a, a game that was quite, quite like that. So to kind of continue on what we were talking about and what you were getting into there with the offense, um, what was one thing that really stood out to you um, offensively from Friday? Night? It could be something we've talked about already, like Sean Clifford, or it could be something else. Well, I think it's. I'm going to elaborate a little on Sean Clifford. Obviously, we talked about his numbers: 26 of 31 for 398 yards, the three touchdowns, um, the rushing touchdown on the, the first offensive play of the game for Penn State. Um, but the way, and I, I'd have to look at the game closer. And Nick, I know you've watched, rewatched most of the game, if not all of it, by this point. Um, but the way 
either the offense evolved to you know quicker passes, getting the ball out of his hands quicker, or just the way he, over the course of the bye week, really took a big step forward to kind of understand the offense more. And it's probably a combination of the two. Um, but it looked it looked like a different offense. And I think part of that is the way they executed, and part of that is the new wrinkles, like we had on the site on Monday. Um, you know, more screen passes. You know, I think there were four or five they threw during the course of the game. I don't think we've seen four or five in the last 15 or 16 games since Ricky Ronnie took over running the offense. Um, so just the, the, the level of execution from an offense that really up until that point had not shown any kind of consistency over, yeah, even the Idaho game, they got off to the slow start before they found their rhythm. Um, but certainly in the Buffalo game, the Pitt game, there was, you know, a real lack of consistency, a real lack of, um, it almost looked like they weren't really sure what they were trying to do quite yet. And between the end of the pit game and the start of the Maryland game on Friday, they certainly looked like they figured it out. And, and like we will say a few more times, I'm sure Maryland is not, um, the Maryland defense is not the pit defense. It's not the Iowa defense they're going to see in a couple of weeks or Michigan or, or Michigan State going forward. But they're not, this is probably the, the, on the defensive side, not the best defense they've played, but it was a, another test, and for the first time against a, a, an FBS team, they looked like they kind of had things figured out. They kind of figured out what works with this group, what's going to work um, you know, going forward, what do they do well, how can they maximize the talent they had. Um, so just the, the evolution over 13 days from the Pitt game to the Maryland game was, was really, really impressive. Yeah, and that was the thing that stood out to me as well. Um, I'm thinking, just thinking about the offensive play calling. I'm, I'm not, I'm not totally sure how much of it's put on Clifford's improvements as compared to uh, the play calling by Ricky Ronnie. But I agree, it, this was a different looking offense than what we had seen. And the thing that I think makes makes it so impressive and makes it all the scarier for Penn State's future opponents is that they didn't do it at the expense of the deep ball, which they already had been doing so well with, with the pit game being an exception. But, of course, wet field, you never know how that's affecting the receivers and how fast they're able to get down there. But they still took their shots deep. They still hit on a bunch of them. There's two more deep shots that could have been completed to Daniel George and K.J. Hamler that Nick Cross made great plays on, one for the pick and one for the pass breakup. But aside from those big plays, aside from those deep passes, we saw, like you mentioned, we saw the screen game. We saw quick passes underneath on slants. We saw uh, Cam Sullivan Brown had a few comeback routes for quick, easy first downs. And and then passes behind the line scrimmage that weren't necessarily screens. Just I remember there was one, uh, I think it was a third down, they just gave the ball to Jahan Dotson. They were playing off coverage and said, okay, just barrel forward, get your two yards, get us the first down. It's It's everything that it was everything that we had wanted to see from this offense and everything that we hadn't really seen uh, to this point this year. And we didn't really see it last year. They didn't do a whole lot of that with Trace McSorley last year. Um, really their intermediate game, their intermediate game last year was McSorley running the football. So it's, this was a really impressive performance that I'm, I'm willing to give credit to both Clifford and Ronnie for that. Um, and I think, and I, think one it was, thing that... I think that was the next evolution of this offense. And I think one thing that we've kind of hinted at both in the podcast and on the site in the last, really since the start of the season is, and this is the first time we've had a new starting quarterback in, in three seasons. So I think it's sometimes easy to take for granted how fortunate Penn State was in 
you know, over the last three years to have Trace McSorley and have, have continuity at that spot. And you forget that in his first year, it took four or five games for him to totally settle in and the offense totally to figure out what they were and, and what they did well and how they were going to, to be successful. And the time will tell and when, whether this is the, you know, an aberration or this is, you know, a sign of, of that progression and that level of comfort from Clifford and the offense, you know, kind of figuring out what they, what they are. But I think there, there is enough of a similarity there that it'll be, it'll bear watching over the next couple of games as they hit and as they host Purdue this week and then head to Iowa city in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And those, and all those quick passes, those screens won't work quite as well uh, against the faster defenses. They won't work quite as well against the Iowa's and the Michigan's and the Michigan States and the Ohio States. They'll have to work a little harder in those regards, but um, it, it was definitely really, really encouraging just to see them continue to open up this playbook, continue to put more on Clifford's plate because he responded really, really well, and he showed that he, he needs that. Uh, flipping over to the defensive side of the ball then, Matt, what's one thing that stood out to you there? Um, well, I kind of hinted at it earlier on, but I think we all probably had a little bit of a collective gasp um, and concern when Parsons went out with the targeting penalty. And full credit to Jesse Lukita, first of all. You know, he was the guy who really took the majority of those snaps once Parsons went out. But just the way there wasn't any sense of panic or concern or really even a change in philosophy and what they wanted to do defensively without Parsons out there, who's obviously kind of the, the athletic leader of the defense. I'm not sure. There's a number of guys there that, that probably are... Um, you know, more important from a schematic standpoint as far as getting calls in and things like that. But there's no question that Micah Parsons is the the kind of the, the engine that makes the defense go at the linebacker spot. But they really didn't miss a beat. And I, from a, a, a challenging offense perspective, this is probably the most dynamic offense they've seen to this point. And for the second straight year, they really just shut them down completely. Um, Anthony McFarland in two career games against Penn State now has, I think it's 15 carries for uh, 36 yards or something to that effect. Um, you know, totally shut him down, totally shut down the RPO game. And they did it without arguably their most important defender. Um, along those same lines, I think the, the weakness of the Maryland offense is their offensive line. And they dealt with a couple injuries that came up during the game on Friday. Um, but you saw um, Itor Grossmanos really had his first really big game of the year. Uh, five tackles, two two of those for losses. Um, Adiza Isaac, who got a lot of run, especially in the second half, had two and a half sacks. Um, Shane Simmons had a half of a sack. Um, I thought the defensive line played by far their best game of the year as far as getting to the passer. And I'm, I'm kind of covering everything here, I realize, but Ellis Brooks played a, a whale of a game too with six tackles and two sacks, so two and a half sacks. Um, so just really along those same lines as the team as a whole, just how thoroughly dominating they were and and the response from a team that has a lot of young guys getting key minutes um, without Micah Parsons out there. Yeah, I think the funny thing about the Parsons ejection was obviously we didn't want him to be ejected, but (laughs) in our Slack, I think the first, the first thing that we all did once they officially announced it, all of us just in all caps start going, Lukita time, let's go, which just shows how much... I think like it's, it was the it's first crazy how much talent they have. It was like the first or second play he was in there after that play. He just made an unbelievable stop. And I think he did something again the next play. So um, it yeah. was, they, they literally did not miss a beat from the very beginning of, of that 
pretty much most of the game without Parsons. Yeah, the linebackers were all over. They they really looked outstanding. I agree with you that this is uh, this was definitely the best the defensive line has looked. They were getting constant pressure, and I, I like you mentioned the Maryland line is pretty beat up. They were already without Terrence Davis, former blue chip recruit. Before going, oh, did you? You probably just heard the Alexa in the background remind me that it's Blitz's dinner time. I don't know if you heard that or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they looked they looked excellent. They got to the quarterback early and often, and Josh Jackson did help him out a little bit. He went into a literal turtle shell a few times and made it pretty easy for him. Um, but Cam Brown, he might he might just find himself on an NFL roster this year. He is playing so this is far and away the best football of his career that he's been playing this season. He looks so fast. He looks I mean, he's always looked big and strong. But when you combine that with the speed that he has and now he's playing with more confidence and he just more ability, he has a much better understanding of where he's supposed to be and when now he is scary. He's an absolute freak. He's in. He's already having a huge year. I think what's what has really the biggest thing I've noticed with him specifically is that they've realized what what his his game is. They're not asking him to do more than he's really capable yeah. of doing, which is a huge testament to I think the staff learning and adjusting, and Cam Brown learning to play within himself, not trying to do more than he's capable of, but. Um, he had a couple plays in the pit game that where he really just got to use that straight ahead speed and attack the ball. And with with the talent that's around him, I think it's allowed him to settle more into that role too, where you're not asking him to do do too much because there's other guys there that can do the things that maybe he's not as not as able to do. Yeah, exactly. He's he's definitely found his niche in the defense. And I mean, all the linebackers have. Jan Johnson seems to have really settled in with what his role is as the Mike linebacker. Obviously, Parsons has been able to do everything, and they've asked him to do everything. Um, so this is this has been a really fun group to watch. And then on the back end, they had a nice game too. John Reed was barely involved at all. And I'm not sure that they even targeted a receiver he was covering. Um, but Tariq Castro-Fields, good for him, having a good day in front of his hometown fans. Um, not, not a high degree of difficulty on his interception, but he still made the play, and He's somebody that quarterbacks have specifically been targeting so far this season. So he he did a nice job to kind of stand up and kind of remind us of the potential that he has. Oh, absolutely. I thought um, it's hard to get a huge read on the secondary from the game just because I don't remember how many passes they ended up throwing, but it was just they took over the game so early where it, it took so much pressure off everyone. Um and really, you know, got Maryland out of what they want to do. They want to, you know, hit the explosive play with the running backs, rely on Anthony McFarland, um, rely on the, the RPO game, and they just they got Maryland away from that. They're not built to come back from from a big deficit, and they were had the big deficit, you know, really early on in the second quarter, three scores down, and it really just snowballed from there. And, and Penn State deserves absolute credit for for creating that situation for sure. There's almost a little bit of uh, Washington, Washington State, a little apple cup going on now between Penn State and Maryland. Not not in the sense of the uh, not in the sense of the rivalry itself, but more of Washington State is able to have a good amount of success against other teams that they play. But when they play Washington, it's just a buzzsaw, and they just it every year they just can't do anything about it. And I remember last year, Washington's uh, defensive coordinator Jimmy Lake 
had a quote after the game and they had mentioned something about uh, Leach either maybe going somewhere else or uh, staying at Washington. It was the end of the year, so I don't think it was probably about him going anywhere. Um, but his quote was, hey, I, I, hope he's, I hope he stays there for a long time. They do the same thing every year. We know exactly how to stop it. I'm totally fine if he stays there forever. Maryland is able to do good things against other teams. They, they took Ohio State down to, the, down to the wire last year. They've had some quality wins over the last three, four seasons. Um, we talked about before, they put, the, they put the beat down on Syracuse early in this season. But when they play Penn State, they just they can't they can't do anything. Penn State is their kryptonite. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see where Maryland goes from here. They their next four games are all, in my opinion, very winnable. They go to Rutgers this weekend, who we'll get into a little bit later on here, I'm sure. But <clears throat> excuse me, they go to Rutgers and they go to Purdue, who will certainly be without Elijah Sindelar, who sounds like he's going to be out for the year with the collarbone in- issue. Um, who knows what Rondell Moore will be at that point. He's out this weekend for the Penn State They're, game. And yeah. then um, they host Indiana and go to Minnesota, who's undefeated but has won all the four of their games. The worst undefeated by, team in the country. Uh, Wake Forest would like a word with you. They're, they're ACC oh, Minnesota. No, Wake Forest is fine. I like Wake Forest. <laughs> but but they've, they've, Minnesota's won all four of their games by, by just the one score. So... It's going to be really interesting. I think it'll be a real test for Mike Loxley's crew to see how they, where they go from here. Cause they've got, they can go, they're two and two right now. I wouldn't be at all surprised to look up in, in four weeks and see that they're five and three or six and two, if they can get th- at least three of the next four. Um, like I said, I think all, th- all four of them are certainly winnable. And I think as they go, we'll get a better feel for how big of a win this was for Penn state. Big picture. Yeah, definitely. And and if if they're if Maryland's able to heal up a little bit, if they're able to get some guys healthy, there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to challenge one of the one of the big powerhouses in the Big Ten. Um, I I kind of anticipate Michigan will be on decent enough footing by then that they won't have trouble with them. But Michigan State, I know they scored 40 points this week, but Indiana really had a good chance to win that game. I'm not ready to say Michigan State's offense is fixed. I don't see why Maryland couldn't sneak into a game against them but uh, still plenty of time to go before before we get there um so transitioning just a couple more things about this game um, what was the biggest surprise for you it could be a positive thing or a negative thing but what was the biggest surprise um coming out of this game i i'm gonna go back to something i said a little bit earlier about the offense and how how integral the the screen pass became in the offense because like I said, it's really not something we've seen at all from Ricky Ronnie, and I don't think they've really shown a lot of it since Joe Moore had got here. There, there were certainly more with him and Saquon Barkley over his two years as the offensive coordinator, but that kind of play has just not been part of this offense, and it's one of those things where I think all of us watching have kind of scratched our heads a little bit because especially early on this year, you saw teams really sell out and, and be, play really aggressive, and the, the obvious way to, to, to play against that is to put together a, a screen pass game or a draw game that, that's supposed to neutralize that kind of attacking defense. And we just hadn't seen it. And all of a sudden, we saw you know, four or five plays, hugely successful, and ju- just from, going to, from seeing none of it over really a year and a half to seeing it so important as, as far as what they were trying to do, 
Um, and then going back to just, again, the, the way the offense evolved was just uh, shocking in, in a very good way, of course, but it was, I don't think any of us really expected Penn state to come out and look so different in what they were trying to do on offense compared to what they ran over the first three games. Yeah, that's actually mine as well. And really, the only time we've seen, uh, going back to Joe Moorhead, the only time that we've seen the Penn State offense look markedly different from one week to another, I would argue was after the Minnesota game back in 2016. It seemed like something clicked and Moorhead kind of opened things up a little bit more, and that, and really the only the change there was letting McSorley run the ball more. This, I think, was the most drastic change we've seen week to week, and I I know by week that makes it so it wasn't exactly week to week, but I agree with what I agree with you. It it was it was really surprising to see them come out with such a different such a different look than we've gotten used to seeing from this offense. Cause Ricky Ronnie basically has taken all these things he learned from Joe Moorhead and just applied them. He's put his own little tweaks in, but he's basically tried to apply the same principles. And the offense that we saw on Friday was very different from what we had seen the previous three, four seasons. So that, that was absolutely surprising. Like you mentioned the screen game. And I, I think part of that is probably we, we talked before we talked before the pit game. Uh, we wrote about it on the site and talked about it privately about how we thought that this that bye week was going to be a really good chance for them to examine what they have with their running backs. I know the rationale there was talking about, oh, well, they should have they should have played Noah Kane more against Pitt. Hopefully they go to the tape and they realize that that's what they should have done. I'm willing to bet that one of the things, because one of the things that they did was they went to the tape and they came to a little bit of a realization that, hey, maybe we're not going to be able to be that team that picks up all the yards we need through the tackles. Maybe we need to start getting our running backs the ball in more creative ways. And I think that's probably where that screen game uh, kind of came from. And I know, I know Franklin officially, officially uh, talked about it in his post game against Pitt. Um, about how they needed more more screens and more defensive pressure, and both those things ended up happening. But yeah, well, and uh, I'd be willing to guess that that is partially why there was such an emphasis this week, because they realized that they need to do something different with their running backs. Well, they've done a really good job getting the ball to the running backs through the passing game, You know, certainly compared to what we saw last year. I don't have the numbers yeah. right in front of me, but they've, they've more, made more of barely, a concerted effort to do it. Barely got the ball at all in the air last year. But they what they weren't doing is they weren't getting it to him in in those screen pass looks it was you know design pass plays they ran one play three or four times against Pitt um, where they got the running back moving across the formation and it was a little dump off but it wasn't a screen pass in the traditional sense to to slow down that aggressive pass rush Um, changing over the defensive side real quick just to, to shake things up a little bit I don't want to say I was surprised by by it but I was surprised by the extent of it but just how thoroughly they they controlled the the maryland running game i don't have their numbers going into the game but but after the game there's maryland's still averaging over 220 yards rushing per game which means they had to be 250 275 i'm guessing doing trying to do math in my head here on the fly going into the game and they held maryland very proud of you for trying no you're not don't lie But they held Maryland to, I think it was, what, 60-some yards rushing and just, you know, 
200 yards ish below their, their season average. And we all know, we've talked about it for months now that Penn State's defense is really good and really talented and the, the strength of the team. But at the same time, I don't think either of us really expected that level of dominance against what had been a really, really good rushing attack through three games for Maryland. Um, honestly, I did expect them to keep, I, I, I don't remember what my final prediction was. I didn't, I know my prediction was in the realm of the score might look closer than it is, but I didn't really think Penn state was ever in danger of losing this game. Um, but I, I agree. I wasn't expecting them to bottle the run quite like that. If for no other reason, then that's what Maryland does. And even, even when they're down, they're going to keep running. They ended the night with 34 carries for 60 yards. 1.8 yard per carry. That is absolutely bonkers for a team that has a running back like Anthony McFarland. And again, I know the offensive line injuries, that plays a big part, but that I mean, is a you, you could have told ridiculous me, stat. We could be sitting here saying that, you know, 34 carries for 120 yards. And I said, that was a hell of a game. They did a really good job against a really good, exactly. good rushing attack. But, you know, less than two yards per carry, just the level of, of domination um, of a, a of what I think will prove to be a pretty good rushing attack for the rest of the year for Maryland, just really really impressive, and and surprising to that it was that to that extent. Yeah, for sure. It it yeah, definitely a great a great surprise for the Penn State defense. Um, Matt, what what questions do you feel like you still have about this? I know we have plenty of questions because we need to see them play one of the big boys in the Big Ten still, but. What questions are you walking away from this game with? Well, I think it's like you just said, it's, you know, okay, they, the biggest question will be, you know, what do they look like against Iowa, which will be the, the first true test um, on both sides of the ball, really harsh road environment at night at Kinnick. Um, but I think the the more pertinent question at this point is, okay, let's see him do it again this weekend against Purdue. Um, we saw them really dominate Idaho, you know, a team they were just overmatched talent-wise from from the get-go, and they came out against Buffalo the week the next week and really struggled for 30 minutes. And with a young team, I think your worry is always going to be, okay, how do they respond to to this? And so for the next eight days, they're going to be reading about and hearing about on campus about how great they are, what a great win that was, and, you know, can't wait till we get, you know, get to go to Kinnick and, and do this against the big national audience and, and this and that. I want to see them do it again against Purdue, a team that, again, on paper, they look like they should really be able to dominate the game from start to finish, especially with Sindelar and Rondell Moore out, um, among others. So I, in the immediate aftermath, that's my big question is, is okay. Let's do it two games in a row. Let's you know. Let's continue to evolve. Let's see what other wrinkles we can add. What other things can we get on tape to to get this to to prepare for the toughing of the schedule starting here in a couple of weeks? Because um, I think the the more the more confidence they have again with a, a young team, that's going to be the, the the big question is confidence and and you know consistency and we've seen that over four games now they've been so up and down they've been really high they've been really low um but th- they're four games in now i'm not not going to say that you know the freshmen aren't freshmen anymore the first time starters aren't first time starters anymore 
because there's still a lot of firsts that that group needs to go to. But I think the the the, the primary goal going into this weekend is is finding that level of consistency and continuing to gain confidence. I think that second thing, confidence, is the the most important ingredient for a team that relies so much on on young players like Penn State does. Yeah, I agree. I I think just like you said, we just need to see more of what we saw on Friday. We need to see them do it again against a a very shorthanded Purdue team. Really, the only player left of note on that team that's going to be playing on Saturday is George Karlaftis, um, who is excellent. But I agree. We I personally, I also definitely still have questions about the offensive line. Um, and they might be they might be unfair after this. Um, kind of one of my one of my things from this game is this feels like a game where we should have seen even more rushing yards. But part of that is also that it's pretty clear at this point that Penn State's identity is going to be throw the ball. It doesn't matter what the score is. It doesn't matter what the situation is. They're going to be willing to throw the ball. They're they've kind of morphed into like this. R, this like cross between an RPO system and an air raid system that's really fascinating to watch, actually. Well, I think a lot but, of it is is taking what they've been given, and like yeah. I said earlier, the defenses have been, have been so aggressive in selling out to stop the run and attack the 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 option look that the pass is what's there, and it's kind of you know new age football throwing to set up the run. You used to run to set up the pass, and that's just not the way it works anymore. And I think the more that Sean Clifford shows he can beat you down the field, he can beat you on those intermediate throws, we can beat you with those quick screen passes and in little, you know, quick five-yard hitch sorts of routes, the more that's going to open up things for for whoever's in the backfield with him. Yeah, and they've done a lot of... um, What was I going to say? They've they've done a lot of passing on first down, too, which obviously is is a... spot where a lot of teams would normally like to run. So that, that kind of inflates the numbers also. But I, I still want to see the Penn State offensive line be able to open up holes in the run game against better teams. And uh, like we talked about before, hopefully hopefully the screen game actually becomes part of that run game. Um, but I, it's, I still I want to know in situations that where Penn State does have to get some tough yards inside, um, that they can line up in the I formation, run behind the fullback. No, that they can still, they can still use their offensive line to open up a hole and and get through when they need to. Um, so I, I definitely still have some questions there. But I, I was impressed at the athleticism of the offensive line on Friday, um, with how well they were able to get out with those screens. Especially they they were in perfect position on the one to KJ Hamler, but Hamler just decided, no, nah, I'm just going to go outside instead and run around a few guys, which is pretty funny. But um, yeah, it's it's hard to come out with too many too many negative uh, kind of negatively connotated questions, but um, really really nice win for Penn State. Uh, once again, fifty nine nothing over Maryland. Just they they came to Maryland. Maryland has been Maryland had been planning this house party. They knew their parents were going to be out of town this weekend. They invited everyone at school. They got a couple of kegs. Uh, they had they plenty of plenty of. They didn't go to class. They had chips. They had snacks. Uh, they had the, the cover off the pool. Everything was ready to go. Uh, and then Penn State just came in, took the beer, and went home. And took everybody and took the party with them and went somewhere else. Uh, it, w- it was an absolute pantsing by this Penn State team. 
they just completely annihilated Maryland in every sense of the word. And I think I've run out of adjectives on how to describe it. Um, so we're going to move on to a quick game. It's not going to be long, but a quick game that I made up just for the special occasion, because um, when I host a podcast, it means we're playing some sort of game always. So if you've been listening to Roar Lions Radio in the past, you know that I often like to play the real Pen Live commenter not game. That will come back at some point this season. We're not going to do it right now because instead we are going to play the real Testudo Times comment or not game. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Testudo Times is the SB Nation Maryland site and it is an absolute cesspool of everything that is horrible about the internet. Um, aside from some of its writers, we, we, do, we do know some great writers that have come out of there. Um, Alex Kirshner, uh, Pete, uh, Pete Volk being a couple, but, um, so we're going to play just a quick, it's four, four, um, comments that might be real, might be, might not be real. And Matt's just going to go ahead and take a guess as to whether or not they are real or they are fake. So are you ready, Matt? For the record, I did not know we were playing. I, I knew we were playing a game as of like eight fifteen. We're recording. It's about nine o'clock now as we're recording this. So it was 8.15 when Nick told me we were playing a game. He told me I don't get to know what the game is. So, so <laughs> I found out with all of you what we're playing. And, and let, me, let me just be perfectly clear here. I am excited and terrified. <laughs> oh, man. This is, this is going to be a good one. We might, I might have to make this a normal... Well, I guess the problem is I'm normally on preview, preview shows, so it's not as fun beforehand. But regardless, this, this is actually a mix of comments... Um, from after the game and before the game so that that'll add a little bit a little bit of flavor to it all right number one burn the couches then throw them on the field so we can't play football games here anymore i'm gonna go real that is a fake comment (laughs) there are a lot there's a lot of talk about burning couches on testudo the thing I will say is that almost seemed too rational, so I, I question myself. That that is not your typical like over the top Testudo Times commenter uh, take there on that. That that in hindsight, I, I realized that was way too rational for for Maryland and, fans. And I don't have I don't have the I have the real pen live fake comment. I I've got that down. It's the inner recesses of my mind are very scary at this point from getting so good at that i don't i don't quite have the testudo flavor but i'm, I'm one for one here so let me count that okay number two i don't think i've ever seen a team be so humiliated in my life it was literally frightening and sad i'm thinking Again, this this feels like it might be again a little too rational, but I'm going to go real because you're not going back back to back fake on me. Well, I would, but this is a real comment. You are correct. Literally frightening. I hadn't thought about using frightening to describe this game. <laughs> well, I I suppose if you if you did a terrible thing and put yourself self in the shoes of a, a Maryland fan, then you might be a little scared. I really wish that this had been a Saturday night game and we could have had, because really, if this is a Saturday night game, is there any chance that Maryland doesn't invite the same number of recruits that Rutgers did to that, what, like uh, it was 79 to nothing when, when Michigan just, and they had no, they had negative yards after three quarters. Oh, that was like, they had like 250 recruits there. That's, 
I, if my memory's right, Bill and I spent an inordinate amount of time on a post-game podcast recapping that game just for the sheer hilarity of it. Just absolutely brutal. Man. All right, you're one you're one uh one, one for and two. One. one and one. One and one. However you want to say it. All right. Number three. We need to successfully run the ball Friday night. Good kicking and punting to win field position. The defense may just win this one for the Terps. Well, that's that's completely real. <laughs> that is real. <laughs> oh, that that was that I, was I Tackling when I read that, when I found that, I, I, the giveaway there was the the spotty grammar more than anything, and the, I know, and the 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 just sheer randomness of of what they were, you know, punting to defense to running the ball. They were just a little all over the place there. That that was a little bit of a giveaway. The grammar was actually even worse. I fixed it as I was reading <laughs> halfway through. I sh- I should have I should have rewritten it from the start, but oh well. We live, we live and we learn. It's okay. All right. You are, what, you're two for three. All right. Final number four. Real Testudo Times comment or not. I hate my life. Life has no meaning. Nothing matters. That could be real, but I don't think it's real. So I'm going to go fake. I did make this easy and make it two and two. So you're right. That is a fake comment. Uh, I, I almost... I, I... I had no doubt that you would go like three and one. So I, I wasn't going the, 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 the even split there at all. That was just, I don't know. That, that was the, the, the real one would have been way more dramatic there. So they're actually, and I guess part of the reason part, they, they took down their game thread. I did go back and find it, but um, the comments on like the, the film study and the, all the post game stuff weren't nearly as, um, weren't nearly as entertaining as the, the ones that were going on their game thread. Um, so I, I did have a limited pool to choose from, but um, I did consider tossing an Eden Arby's at the end of that, but I figured that would give it away too much. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so three for four. That's pretty That's pretty good work. I think I think we'll have to make a regular thing out of this. I have to share a couple of the, the real ones that we had on the, the post-mortem mess boards uh, on Monday. Um, my, my two favorites, someone needs to donate millions of dollars annually to get a good football coach and New Mexico of the East. Here we come. Oh, that's the best one. <laughs> that's, that's the level of, 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 uh, of thought that you get from, from Maryland fans online. The best part about these, think they're not that already. Well, I'm looking at the timestamps on these and these are, were during the game. The, the millions of dollars ones is 825, so I think oh, it was man. maybe 21 nothing at that point, and, and the New Mexico of the East was 826. So, man. It, it got out of hand fast for, in College Park. What a sad, sad fan base. Those, those poor people. <laughs> oh, my. All right, let's, let's hop around the Big Ten recap what happened a little bit and then let's get out of here uh saturday uh i think every other big 10 yeah every other game in the conference this week was on saturday um ohio number five ohio state beat down nebraska 48 to well, i guess they were number five i don't know if they moved up uh 48 four now four okay i'll leave the rankings sure. out of this then we'll, we'll go with uh, four yeah, forty-eight to seven. Justin Fields, fifteen to twenty-one, two hundred twelve passing yards and three touchdowns. 
J.K. Dobbins, he he did not. He was not amazing last year. He's he's back to being really really good this year. He twenty four carries, one hundred seventy seven yards. Um, this this game was never close. It there was a moment when it looked like Nebraska might cut it to fourteen to seven, but Martinez kind of tried to drop one in there to a receiver. It went off the receiver's outstretched. He had one hand. He couldn't get two hands on it. Tipped the ball. Jeffrey Okuda had fallen down, was laying on his back at like oh, the seven-yard right. line, and the ball landed right on his chest. So that that was the kind of night it was for Nebraska where they they did not look good. Martinez just looked totally overmatched. I think he threw three interceptions. And even the, even the plays that didn't go great kind of just – they went bad. They went so bad that it just, it was, it was terrible. Yeah. It was just not, yeah, not pretty. Nebraska um, is not back is, is what we're getting at here. Nebraska is very much not back. You probably still get odds on them to win the national championship if you want to. Um, moving on. I don't want to talk about that anymore. Uh, Wisconsin 24 Northwestern 15. Wisconsin scored, Jonathan Taylor scored a touchdown on the first drive of this game, and that was the only offensive touchdown that Wisconsin scored. They did yeah. not look great. No, it was, I'm, I'm pulling up the stats here because I, I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of this, but there was less than four, uh, 500 combined yards of offense, 255 for Northwestern, 243 for Wisconsin. Um, the the Badgers were held to just 130 yards rushing. Um, this was a very Big Ten West kind of game, um, mm-hmm. and I I I I still think Wisconsin is really good. Uh, I think this is your typical bunch of college kids coming down off the high of that huge win against Michigan and um, just not not being ready to play from the start and just kind of thinking they're going to coast through this one. Um, that. The Wisconsin defense is really, really good. They, I think, forced two more fumbles, picked off an interception. I think what it was a pick six, and was it a blocked, block kick that went for another touchdown? I can't remember. Uh, they recovered a fumble in the end zone for a touchdown, and they had a pick six. So it, yeah, it was just again the the Wisconsin defense. I think for them is going to be the bigger story all year. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor is great, and they're gonna they're gonna face some challenges because they actually play Ohio State on the road this year. Uh, I think you know Iowa's pretty pretty good. They're going to play a decent Minnesota team. So, um, but I I think the Wisconsin defense is the real deal. Um, and I'm I'm really curious to see what you know where Wisconsin goes from here. They've got um, you know Ohio State coming up. They've got that Iowa game coming up later in the year. So, yeah, that that's I don't know what I'm saying about anything about this game. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see them play real teams. Um, Northwestern's not. See the thing with Northwestern, you could tell me, you could tell me before the season that week one they would lose to like UNLV, and then week two they would beat Auburn, and I would say, yeah, sure, that that checks out. Like they're I, Northwestern is like the worst team to try to gauge where you are against. Yeah, it's they're, they're one in three. Uh, the Hunter Johnson quarterback experience has not not gone well. Um, I don't know. They're they are very Northwestern. That, that's that's the best description I can give. Yeah, 
They'll play defense. They won't score. It's Northwestern. They are the team of unders. That's what they are. Um, Iowa shook Middle Tennessee 48-3. We didn't talk about that. Uh, Michigan, uh, to borrow the phrase from Solid Verbal, had their net crack game against Rutgers 52-0. Big story here, Josh Gaddis coming down and calling plays from the field. This is the answer. The offense is fixed. Uh, no, it's not. They ran for 141 yards on 41 carries against Rutgers. The, the offense is very much Harbaugh, not fixed. Did you see Harbaugh's explanation for why Zach Charbonnet's barely been involved the last two games? I have not. I've, I've like developed this Harbaugh mute capability in my mind. So like whenever he talks, I just like, it sounds like the Charlie Brown teacher. So, <laughs> ooh, that that's a really good idea for a video. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, so Charbonnet, I mean, he Michigan fans were all oh, Charbonnet's next big thing. I mean, he was averaging like three point five yards carry. He was just getting a lot of carries. But after this game, I guess somebody asked him about it because their leading rusher was Christian Turner with eleven carries for forty eight yards. Somebody asked Harbaugh about Charbonnet, and he said. Well, he had he had thirty three carries against Army, and that was too much. We we can't we can't do that to a young kid. That was two games ago and a bye ago. So, is is he just afraid to say that he's hurt, dinged up? Is he? He, he has not had willing to seven carries not there. since the since the Army game. So seven carries in three weeks with the bye in there. Yeah, and like I get it that Army plays they play tough defense they hit you but <laughs> it was three weeks ago it was 33 carries he probably had games in high school where he had more than 33 carries probably not because he was probably scoring like 50 yards touchdowns but but your point remains yeah i, I do not think this is load management for zach charbonnet at this point I just 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 stop talking hard like i still <laughs> And then did you see the that he and the shouting match that he and Gaz got in on the sideline when the score oh, was like? I, like, I saw I saw a very tiny glimpse of it. I again didn't get a whole ch- huge chance to watch the noon games, but but I did see a little clip of that. And th- that is the 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 biggest reason I'm in favor of Josh Gaddis being on the sideline because there's a very real chance Jim Harbaugh does something utterly ridiculous, like trying to strangle him with his headset or something like that. And I really want to watch it on TV. Oh man, it there. I mean, is there any? Let's let's. Yes or no? Is Josh Gaddis in Ann Arbor next year? Oh, that's a tough one. I think so, just because they owe him a lot of money, and I think I I can't imagine that they, with all the hype that he came in there with, that unless Harbaugh is not there, which who knows with him? You know, he could he could leave tomorrow for you know, the Redskins job or something in Washington, who knows. But I think as long as Harbaugh is there, he will be. Now, if he, is he there in 2021 is the big question. See, but I, I, I'm not even sure that I'm willing to say he's definitely there next year. With my reasoning being that if, if this game actually was something of a semblance of something happening for the Michigan offense and they're able to improve going forward. Josh Gaddis has clearly shown at this point that he will do whatever he has to do to continue climbing the ladder in college football, which is 
not an insult to him by any means. I mean, that, that's why all these guys are here, right? They want to be, most of them want to be head coaches. If Michigan's offense shows improvement to the degree that they are able to kind of end up being a successful team this year in the Big Ten, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that a small school might offer him a chance at being a head coach or that another school might offer him even more money to be an offensive coordinator. I don't think that's completely out of the question. And on the flip side, if the Michigan offense continues to be what they were in weeks one through three, I don't know how you can, I don't know how you can justify keeping him. I don't know why Harbaugh would keep it's this offense is such a departure from what Harbaugh is used to and what Harbaugh likes that I don't think he need is going to need too much of a reason to send him packing. Yeah, I have I haven't thought about that nearly enough, and now now I'm really fascinated about it. So, so ask me uh, in a week, <laughs> and I'll have a better answer that might have more ridiculous anecdotes or something in it. All right, perfect. Um, Michigan State beat Indiana forty to thirty-one. The Michigan State offense is fixed. It's not um, Indiana had a very real chance to win this game um, and just couldn't. I'm well, (laughs) let me rephrase. Indiana played the same football game. They've played every week for the last, however many years. Um, Michigan state just got enough. Uh, They, I know they had a fumble, what a fumble recovery touchdown. Brian Lewerke went for 300 yards. Brian Lewerke actually leads the big 10 in passing yards right now, which is kind of funny. Um, the unfortunate part for them is he also led them in rushing yards. They still have not figured out how to run the ball. Um, yeah, it's it, I Michigan State's defense is really good, but they did just give up 31 points to an Indiana team that's not quite as explosive of, as Indiana teams in the past. Um, big shout out to Wap Failure, 14 catches, 142 yards, and two touchdowns though for Indiana. We need more players named Wap. Wap. In, in just in, in life, let alone college football. Um, I remember, Michigan I think State's... three years, three years ago when we tr- when we tried doing that uh, fantasy football um, when they first started that NCAA team. I drafted all my receivers just based on names. I had Wap Fillier, <laughs> Lil Jordan Humphrey, and CD Lamb. It was great. Um, Michigan State, Indiana, every year played just a weird game, um, and you can probably say that about a lot of Michigan State's games in general are are weird. But Indiana. it's it's chaos team, and it's a different kind of chaos than we we got used to several Boring. years ago. But but it's still weird, and you know Michigan State goes to Columbus. Uh, I think the game's in Columbus. Uh, yeah, because Ohio State's wearing their black jerseys on Saturday night, and uh, I I have a feeling come eleven o'clock or so on Saturday, Michigan State's offense will no longer be back, and um, you know Ohio State will have rolled up you know, 50 more points and, and we'll all be terrified about what they're going to do to the rest of the big 10 schedule. But, um, I'm, I'm very much on the fence about probably 90% of the big 10. I think we all know Ohio state's really good. I think we know what Wisconsin is after that. You know, I don't think we know a whole lot of anything. Um, you know, Michigan state's defense, I think we can all agree is pretty good. I think we're, Pretty sure Penn State's pretty good. Iowa's defense is pretty good, but and you can probably extrapolate that across college football as a whole. I think we know there's like five really good teams, and then after that, it's like throw everyone up in the air, and like the next ten that come down are probably you know in some 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 order you can probably make an argument for. Um, 
but yeah, it's 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 been a weird start to the year just in general. There's been the the near upset with North Carolina and Clemson, but there just there hasn't been a whole lot of kind of that that crazy college football, especially early early in the year when you still don't really know what anyone is. Um, there just hasn't been a whole lot of huge shocking storylines with results or anything like that. Which means November is going to be absolute mayhem because you know it's coming. It's college football. Something's going to get thrown out of whack at some point. Yeah, it's um, it it stands to reason. And it's, but this is, I just saw something today that this is the first time in however many years that the the top six teams to start the year are still the top six teams. Different order. They've shuffled a little bit, but the teams that started one through six are still somewhere between one and six at the end of September, which is the first time that's happened in a long time. So. Either we're going to have a really crazy last couple months of the year, or it's going to be a lot more of you know chalk and the 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 really good teams separating themselves. But I'm I'm fascinated to watch it. I'm going to watch every little bit of it that I can, and uh, I can't wait. Yeah, I mean that one through six thing has a very good chance of being thrown out of whack this week because if Auburn beats Florida, I don't see how they don't jump in that somehow. Um, probably just jumping one spot um, to move ahead of LSU, but. Um, yeah, what I I definitely agree. Um, and then the last last Big Ten game we talked about them before. Most most boring undefeated team in the country. Minnesota beat Purdue thirty eight thirty one. Minnesota I think was up twenty eight ten, and then Cindelar and Rondell Moore got hurt, and Purdue still almost came back and won this game. If you need any more proof as to how bleh Minnesota is, they are. God. I just I can't wait for them. Actually, you know what? No, keep winning. Let us let us have the honor of taking them down and putting them in the loss column. This is going to be like Bizarro '99 Penn State, where they were eight zero, and then Minnesota got them on the Hail Mary, and then Penn State lost like three straight games. That's going to be Minnesota. They're going to be they're going to be eight zero when Penn State goes there. Then I think they go like Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin to end the year or something something along those lines. And so they're going to go from being like, like 18th and undefeated and everyone want, and all the Minnesota fans wondering why they're not getting any respect to like playing in like Detroit as a, for their bowl game. Meanwhile, their SP plus rating is going to be like 74. Row the boat. Gosh. Row the boat. Um, yeah. And actually, as I'm looking at these, apparently right now in terms of likelihood to make the college football playoff, Ohio state 71, Alabama 68, Clemson 66, Oklahoma 46, Georgia 40, LSU 26, Auburn 25, and then there's Penn State at 17, sitting right ahead of Notre Dame at 15 and poor Wisconsin at 9. Um, although that that's more like that has more to do with the fact that they, they also have to play Ohio State in the regular season. So they would theoretically most likely have to beat them twice. But interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've probably gone on long enough for this. Uh, once again, Penn State, 59 nothing win over Maryland. Um, the Nitty Lions will be back in action this upcoming Saturday for homecoming. They're wearing the throwbacks again, aren't they? Yeah, they were the, what do they call them? The yes. Generations of Greatness. Oh, my God. I would do so many things to get them to wear those jerseys every single time they play at home. They are so beautiful. I, I don't disagree. I hope they do the uh, the Argyle diamond end zones again that they did when they did yeah. this a couple of years ago. That 
that was by far the best part. And I will actually, I'll be there. It's homecoming. I'll, I'll be, uh, I'm making my glorious return to the alumni band with, with all the old people trying myself included in that comment. Absolutely. Um, trying to look like we know what we're doing. So, so that'll be, that'll be fun to watch. And I, I think, uh, you and Bill will talk about it later in this week, but, um, another game Penn state has, they opened as a 16 and a half point favorite at last check. It was up to 27 and a half. Um, thanks 28. to, Thanks to both the the Purdue injuries and common sense, because um, some of those that line started to escalate quickly even before the extent of the injuries were known. Wasn't before it was actually released anywhere? Didn't we? Didn't the first tweet we saw with it wasn't it eleven? There was an eleven somewhere on uh, that odd so shark site. I don't. I can't imagine that that was like a an actual thing that anyone could actually bet on for more than maybe a couple bucks, no. but. Um, yeah, the, the Circus Sports, who runs the sports book at a couple of casinos in Vegas, is the has kind of been the the one getting lines out first this year around two o'clock on on Sundays, and that's that's where the sixteen and a half came from. And it was, I think, by the time we got our post up on the site, it was up to minus twenty two, and I think you know within a couple hours of that, it was up to twenty four. So yeah, just um, ridiculous. If you want to have any idea where the uh, the the, the, the sharks in, in Vegas think this is going. And the thing is, 28 is still probably too low for a Purdue team without its quarterback and its best player. Yeah, I, I'm I'm debating putting my wedding fund on it. So I, <laughs> stay, I have already stay put, tuned. I have already put several dollar bills on that. <laughs> as, as is it a double digit uh, wager? Or are we still like like five bucks? Oh no, the, it, this is comfortably in the double digits. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck, my friend. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. We should get out of here before we reveal too much more about our degenerate selves on this podcast. Please, um, please stop for myself. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, this was fun. We should do this without Bill more often because Bill is bad. Um, if you're going to the Penn State game, uh, if you're going to the homecoming game, make sure you bring lots of old fruit so you can throw it at the trumpet section of the alumni band. Hopefully you'll hit Matt. Um if you're not going to be at the game, make sure you stick with Roar Lions Roar. We'll make sure we'll have all our coverage. Um, and all week this week, we'll continue to break down all the hilarious aspects of this blowout over Maryland as we also uh, move into previewing the Purdue game and take a look at a few other things. Um, it, the best way to support us, if you're interested in supporting Roar Lions Roar, please go on to our uh, store and buy some shirts. The new Our State hoodie and the new white Tutty shirt, both are really, really high-quality products. I'm actually wearing the sweatshirt right now. Um, they're incredibly comfortable. Don't take my word for it. Get one yourself. It, well, do take my word for it, actually. Um, but get one yourself. They, they really are excellent and for a good price for a nice sweatshirt. Um, on whatever app you're listening to this to, whether it's Apple Podcasts, uh, Overcast, I don't even know what else we're on, Google Play, SoundCloud, um, please leave us a review. I know it's I know it's annoying to do, but it really does help us. Just toss five stars on there. You can make a comment about how Matt probably smells bad or about how Bill's guitar playing is subpar. Whatever you want to do. The comment doesn't matter. Just give us the stars. That's all we really care about. Um, but yeah, we'll be back later in the week. Bill and I will be here to preview the Purdue game. And we'll be, I'll be back to... S- word i'm looking for to put these docile tones of my voice into your ears and make your day that much better um once again for myself nick Pollock, and my co-host matt de any last words matt 
that sounded really ominous. <laughs> what, what's going to happen to Do you to have me? any final words? Well, the only thing I'll add is the, I'm laughing because, as you know, Nick, I just got engaged about a week and a half ago, and that sounded really wow. ominous when thinking about wedding planning. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. Yes, I, I haven't been on a podcast with you since then. I can say congratulations in front of more people than just the text I sent you. So congratulations again, Matt. Thank you very much, my friend. She's made a terrible, terrible mistake. Hopefully she doesn't figure it out. <laughs> She'll listen to this. She's going to listen to this. So she's going to, I will re, re, uh, relay her comments to you. Excellent. All right. Well, for myself, Nick Pollock, and for my co-host, Matt DeBear, have a wonderful night, everybody. Go stay. Bye.